Greetings, future fossils. That clip was from My Brother's Ears, My Sister's Eyes by Colin Frangicetto, his solo project, Psychic Babble. Colin is the guest this week. This is a pretty exciting week. It is my 16th anniversary with my partner, if you can believe that. We met young. But it is also on the same day, 9-20, which is has become, since we started dating, the International Day for uh, for Babies. Yes, that's right, Ada. Now you're in the podcast. Uh, <laughs> for uh, psilocybin, mushrooms. It's uh, like the 420 for mushroom lovers. So that's a kind of a funny day for us to celebrate as an anniversary. And it, it's also, joyously, the consummate day of TAM Integration's Psilocybin Summit, which I'm really looking forward to because I get to speak in public with this week's lovely guest, Colin Frangicetto, a fellow guitarist, painter, writer, podcaster uh, of uh, considerably more renown than myself. You, you probably recognize him from his work with Circus Survive or Psychic Babble. Or equally likely, you have heard him on every other podcast in the world except mine. I don't know what the deal was, but we were chatting for practically a year before we finally got our act together and recorded this episode. And then it took us another year to get it out. So what you're going to hear in the next two hours would really, I think, one of the most warm and soulful and, and delightful conversations that I've ever had the pleasure to have on this show is Colin and I interviewing one another for each other's shows, because this was right around the time he was recording a fresh batch of episodes for his show, The Cosmic Nod, which we we give the backstory of in this episode, and it's profound. Uh, So at any rate, this is a really quotable episode. I just got linked up with an amazing new transcription service, podscribe.ai. And if you're a podcaster, I cannot recommend them enough. Uh, please email Pete at podscribe and, and tell them that I sent you because it's just extremely excellent machine transcription that requires very little editing. So I'm, I'm excited because very soon here, Future Fossils is going to have a completely searchable back catalog of transcripts. And some of the members of our Discord server have already volunteered to help edit those transcripts. If you're interested in volunteering in that way, please let me know either in Discord or on Facebook or Twitter future fossils podcast at gmail anywhere you want to go for that i would love your help making this show completely indexable and and searchable and available for people to read but at any rate colin and i have this extremely quotable conversation where if you've been listening to the show recently i go into more detail about my own uh, profound angel squid experience that I went into a couple episodes ago with Sean Hargens, but in correlation with Colin's own months long life changing octopus synchronicity. And that's just like one tiny corner of what I like to think of as the weird artist 
medicine storytelling, our two-parter here. I really fly my freak flag on this episode, and it's appropriate because we're going to be revisiting these ideas this weekend, a Sunday at 4.30 in the Psilocybin Summit for our conversation about psilocybin and synchronicity. There's just an unbelievable world-class speaker lineup, including Paul Stamets, uh, Shane Moss, and Bia Labate of Shakruna.net. And uh, you can find a link to the tickets in the show notes to this episode. And uh, if you get the ticket there, then I get a tiny cut. So anyway, before we begin, last message is that I absolutely love and cherish everybody who has been supporting this show on Patreon, including the new patrons, Rachel Nagelberg, a friend whose novel, The Fifth Wall, I'll mention actually in next week's episode, uh, Conversation on Burning Man VR, and uh, Alex Hote, I hope I'm saying that right, just became patrons to join. The patronage is growing, the conversation is growing in the Discord. I feel very lucky to be facilitating the uh digital campfire around which so many excellent people have gathered over the last few years and continue to gather. If you would like to be a part of that, please bump on over to patreon.com slash Michael Garfield, where I just dropped nearly 300 loops that I ripped off my RC505 loop station from uh, tours of the United States and Australia and have organized into an Ableton Live set for your remixing pleasure, as well as the latest studio composition that I just finished, which is the, uh, the sort of alchemical act of a 12-year creative process, which I will debut on the show at some point in the next few weeks. But if you're interested in getting first looks at all of my new stuff, then that's a great place to go. Anyway, I'm going to enter and exit this awesome conversation with a couple more clips of Psychic Babble, which we discuss rather extensively in this episode. And uh, I hope you enjoy I would love to hear your thoughts, your impressions from this. Feel free to write and uh, have a lovely week. And I hope I will see you at the Psilocybin Summit this weekend. Good to doing finally... good. Yeah, we're here. Uh-huh. We are totally here. Things are good. Just been enjoying some time at home, besides a little excursion to Peru. Uh, but yeah. minus that, I've been home for a bit. 
got home like the end of July. So I've just been chilling since then. So what is that like to be at home and chilling for you? Like what is what does chilling mean? Yeah, I guess I probably shouldn't use that phrase. Uh it's not really that accurate. I I was going to shift modes, you know, uh, like I shift to a homebody, I guess a somewhat obsessively working on visual art or writing or just some other medium. And even I mean I'll I'll shift into music again, but often my downtime just winds up shifting to some kind of other passion, you know, generally. I was I was talking this is in the Third Eye Drops Facebook group. I was talking to uh, my friend Chris Noel had uh asked the group what YouTube videos to watch while tripping. <laughs> and we ended up with this whole conversation where I was being like psychedelic dad being like go outside. You know, don't subject yourself to the attention manipulation engine when you're like even more suggestible and like yeah that whole thing but then it ended up being this this conversation about what what happens this is a roundabout way of saying this but tripping indoors versus tripping outdoors which i'm trying to connect to your like calling at home versus calling on the road and it Mm -hmm. seems like there's like really two different things that come out of that like yeah for me the indoor trip is me having to organize the environment that I wasn't as conscious of, you know, just a few moments ago, like realizing that there are little things that are, that were bothering me subliminally. And like now they're Mm -hmm. above the level, you know, Mm -hmm. and I just, Mm -hmm. every indoor trip has turned into this Marie Kondo parking puzzle game of like getting rid of stuff and organize, you know, the feng shui, but then going outside, it's like, well, I don't control nature. And it's a whole different thing. And you, you release yourself into, it seems like out, outdoor trips are better for like inner work for contemplation. Mm-hmm. Does that seem somewhat true to your home and away vibe? Yeah, definitely. And, and it, and that also resonates with me because I notice like when I am tripping indoors and I would say over the last couple of years, that's, that's changed a little bit. Like I'll do that, especially for like deep work like more reflective work you're taking a little bit of a higher dose you're basically going to stay in one spot and go inward a lot of closed eye type of reflection or exploring so you naturally don't want to be like outside exposed to the elements while you're doing that kind of stuff but with that said especially depending on which medicine we're talking about i'll find myself in that same type of excited kind of i don't want to like use the term OCD just like willy nilly because I know it's really debilitating, but there's like this obsessive compulsive, like, and it's not just with my environment. It then becomes like with my skin and like with my hygiene. And you just can really start nitpicking at everything and seeing all the little like dust bunnies in the corner and like, oh man, they did a really bad job. Like with this, like, you know, you're looking around at the architecture of your house <laughs> and you're like, shit, I wish I would have like taken this LSD before I bought this house. Cause I would have noticed all this, <laughs> you know, like that kind of shit. That's actually good advice. Like if you can. If you got a cool realtor, you know, yeah. like, yeah. You're like, hey, listen, <laughs> there's one more thing I need to do before we sign this contract. I'm going to need about eight to 12 hours in the space um, <laughs> and potentially a sitter. And I, I do feel that kind of relief that comes with tripping outside with the release to, you know, you don't need to control because you can't control. And 
I'd say if you're working on issues of surrender, then outside is the way to go because it basically reminds you that you're not shit and like you can't control anything. <laughs> Getting to look at the sky. Yeah. You know, there's just something so like, oh, right. The sky. Exactly. Yeah. I, I just gave a talk that unfortunately I botched the recording. Oh, no. But I gave this talk last weekend at my friend's festival in Arizona about how we're living in this this moment that, for me, reminds me, uh, probably because I'm a big Bill Thompson fan, and like when I was on tour a few years ago, I listened to all of his recorded lectures. That's like all I did was listen to William Irwin Thompson history talks. Mm-hmm. And he has this one on the book of Exodus, and how like we're kind of going through, you know, the book of Exodus is this template for the myth of revolution, mm-hmm. and how... There's this phase between like you're living in Egypt and you're living in Israel, the 40 years of wandering. And that when I say our, our generation, I guess, I mean, more broadly, like the people alive right now, the living cohort on this planet are in this period where we left Egypt and we don't know what's going on. Like all of our institutions are nonsense. You know, people are having a hard time deciding what qualifies as authority anymore. You know, Mm. where's the, where's the stable ground, but there's something that comes out of that, which is the Jewish wandering reliance on the manna from heaven or just like faith Mm -hmm. and just accepting. It's weird. It's like that path between Israel and Egypt is so short. It's not 40 years of walking, right? It's like two (laughs) weeks of walking. So like, what the hell? Like, and I think, you know, I think about that with just being around a baby these mm-hmm. days and just wondering i guess we have like a moses aaron relationship we're like i have this wilderness mysticism but she's gonna she's gonna be back in the temple you know by the time she's my age and mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's a different kind of human being that comes out of being out there being on the road mm-hmm. it requires you to subject yourself to like th- the things that matter are change, you know, yes. like it's, you're, you're more kind of concerned with the contemplative, the intuitive. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about all that? Yeah, no, no, totally. And I'm curious to hear more about just, I mean, obviously I, I would love to just hear more about your experience of, of like what's shifting for you being a, being a father now. But yeah, I really relate to what you're saying as far as like, I think for me, when I shift into tour mode, it's weird. It's like, I'll instantly, and again, I don't, oh man, I I feel like anyone that has OCD is going to seriously crucify me about this. But I do realize that there's this sort of instant relief that comes once I actually get on the road. There's like this buildup of anxiety. And then once I get on the road, there's this relief of which is probably dropping a lot of those concerns that that are I obsess on or are just constantly present at home. There's this shift. I feel the relief. And then there's these new concerns that take over, but there's this liminal space in between right before that where you're like, Ooh, this is nice. I'm just floating and I, I'm surrendering and I'm just in, I'm just in the current. The current is taking me and this is beautiful. And then you're like, ah, guitar pedals and uh, like, like, where's my day sheet? Ah, where do I go? Where's the, you know, and you're just like, ah, but. Uh, right before that happens is like this beautiful moment of relief, which I think I've listened to Adam Strauss talk a lot about his OCD condition and where he talks about doing the ritual 
the compulsive ritual provides a certain amount of relief at first mm. and then it dissipates. And I feel like that, um, that kind of feels similar to me, but yeah, there's always a new set of concerns. <laughs> Do you think that your time is your experience of time is different out there? I, I talked about this with Andreas Capsalis. I mean, he, he, mm. he tore solo. So maybe it's mm. a little different. Like I remember a few years ago, there was a guy I spoke to who claimed that he had managed to go into that sort of, you know, there's that yogic thing where you don't eat anymore, where you're like, mm -hmm. your Kundalini is high enough. You're, you're getting all of your energy through your prana or whatever. Yeah. And he said that he was able to do it, but only when he was living alone. And that like, as soon as he was living in a house with roommates, that it like, it just sort of the food thing crept back in. And like, mm. he like synchronized, like uh, women living in the dorm synchronized to each other's periods. Yeah. He synchronized to the food metabolic thing. Yeah. And wow. so I wonder, I wonder if the time shift that I have experienced on the road is different for you because you're you're with a group of people so you tour alone as well when you go out mm. yeah i think it definitely changes it because it's sort of the same thing as just when you spend a lot of time alone i think yeah there's there's just less distraction or maybe you're providing your own distraction but i feel like time tends to expand more when i'm alone Whereas when I'm around others and I'm just sort of in this state of engaging all the time, yeah, the time tends to speed up and feels more like, I mean, initially as I'm traveling out to meet up with the band, because I'm the only guy that's on the West Coast, they're all on the East Coast. So I always have this kind of journey out to them. It feels like, oh my God, this tour is going to be so long and it's going to be months before I'm back in this space and blah, blah, blah. And the second I'm in it, it's like, holy shit, we're already two weeks in. It just like, you know, it feels like I'm blinking and weeks are going by. But, you know, it's not that it can't hit its lulls because once you get used to the rhythm of the tour and everything's dialed in and there's no more kind of like tinkering around throughout the day, you know, sound checks wind up being 10 minutes long at a certain point. They're just so like effortless. Then you have a lot of time on your hands. And then that's where I think for me, reading, podcasts, drawing, meditation, all that kind of stuff, exploring cities becomes how I try to like not go crazy. I want to right angle this because yeah. you are one of probably I can count the number of people that are musicians and visual artists on my hands. Mm. Right. You're so, one of them. Yeah. I'm one of them. Um, mm -hmm. Michelangelo. Yeah. I don't know if you know him. He's, he's one. Yeah, well, I spoke to him not that long ago for, before I went for Aya because he's obviously extremely passionate about the the topic and we had it we had a really good deep dive but yeah I'm fascinated with uh people that do both as well. I think about like Joseph Arthur. I don't know if you you know him. He's a singer-songwriter. He was the first American signed on to Peter Gabriel's Real World label. Oh wow. And he's this bizarre kind of urban tribal I don't know black glasses leather jacket guitar looper like paint nice. it like paints these weird sort of african tribal faces all over everything including his guitar mm. yeah really interesting dude but like i think i've used this metaphor before it's like i was in high school debate and then we would go to an the debate tournament at another high school and then you would realize that there's like at the next table there's a group of six kids that is you and your five friends mm -hmm. at your table 
mm-hmm. they're like their hair color is different and they're like <laughs> you know they're like wearing clothing of slightly different cut or whatever and yeah. it's just this this i don't know there's something about the mystery in a way it's like hard to even comprehend when it's something is really really other mm-hmm. but then when something is really familiar but different Mm-hmm. then it's even more of a mind fuck. And so I guess this is this is just me explaining my intense curiosity about your how it is that you navigate those spaces and I can just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um well, you know, I'm definitely going to bounce this right back to you cuz it's always it's always interesting to me to see how different people's processes are and just sort of how they either allow for multiple disciplines or, or multiple mediums to sort of all like come from the same source and be sort of like kind of unsegregated, like no, no lines, but other people are really good at kind of uh, compartmentalizing and, and being very disciplined about that. And I'd, I'd have to say for me, it was like a deep struggle at first, I think partially because I was just going through maybe growing pains with the identity that was being thrust upon me as being a guitarist for this band that was starting to get known and, and it didn't feel quite as satisfying as I think I thought it would be. And I had all this extra juice. I think anyone in the beginning stages of a collaborative project will start to feel those pulls where you you feel conflicted about how much you want to impose your vision on the group versus just sort of be more collaborative and, and feed off of each other, especially when you feel like maybe no one's steering the ship. You're like, am I, should I take the wheel? You know? (laughs) Um, but yeah, so starting to do solo music work and, and then visual art really became my way of, carving out my own channels of expression and in which I didn't have to ask anyone for permission or, or get their opinions on it. So at first it it felt like almost like I was putting a flag in the ground being like, this is mine. Stay like, like this is mine. I did this like, and it sort of took this almost like defensive type of behavior where I was like carving out space for it. I almost think I felt subconsciously guilty that it wasn't bringing in income at the time, you know, Circa was, but meanwhile, I'm like trying to carve out all this really deep chunk of time to dedicate to these other things that I was passionate about. Um, so there was a lot of compartmentalizing at that time. And then especially with my solo project, Psychic Babble, I was really like sensitive about everything had to have like circus revive in parentheses and like you know it was like oh this is how we market this and blah 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 and and i was very resistant to that but now everything is way more harmonious and i just sort of see it as like everything is just a different tool to express the same meanness you know something you said in there reminds me of what i'm going through right now i wouldn't have phrased it exactly the same way but it's it it has a similar shape, which is, you know, talking about getting into a project, you've been dreaming about something like this, right? Yeah. You, you're like driven into it mm-hmm. and then you get it. For me, it's this job, 
right? Mm-hmm. Working at SFI, being a science communicator, having health insurance. It's like, what? It's bizarre. I've, for so long, I've just sort of, I got kind of depressed. I guess like not being able to find my band. Mm-hmm. You know, community and collaboration has always been really precious to me. And so now to have this sort of stability, it's like, well, wait a minute. What about the rest of me? Mm-hmm. And so it's funny. I, I, I probably sound like a spoiled little bitch uh, to anybody <laughs> who's been like, you know, we're sitting behind a desk for the last 15 years instead yeah. of improvising in the wilderness for the last <laughs> 15 years. But yeah. yeah, like this, this consideration because of the context, because it's SFI, I've been thinking a lot about this in terms of the way that organisms come together and form larger organisms. Mm-hmm. And then whatever they needed to live on their own that was, that has now become redundant, sort of like mm-hmm. shrivels away and falls off. Like the, yep. the, the mitochondria in your cell can no longer reproduce on their own. And mm-hmm. there's a solid question as to like whether human beings can survive outside of civilization at this point. Mm. I, I think no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Like, I think no as like, well. I mean, maybe one out of every several million people has what it takes. <laughs> and so there's this question of like, I heard Daniel Vitalis on, on tangentially speaking, say about this a few years ago that we've, we're like the Chihuahua, you know, that we've, that <laughs> we've domesticated ourselves and that the gray alien, this image of like a possible future human being is even more Chihuahua, you know, and that we're just <laughs> headed, we're just headed into this direction of being in a weird way, like at the same time, like gods and yeah. babies, mm. like completely dependent on this system that we've created. And so when it comes to the job thing or the band thing, and the power and the awesomeness of being drawn into this collaborative structure where you're like, I have a purpose in this thing. I have, you know, I'm not just like defining my own role in the universe, but then it's like, well, wait a minute. That means inheriting all of this crap that like mm-hmm. where like there's an enormous remainder, like the longer you spend on your own developing your own life and world and skills and so on. It just, it's an interesting question of like, it's been so hard for me to relegate things that I used to be doing professionally to hobbies now and be like, Oh, art, that's a hobby now. Bye. You know? And Mm -hmm. like wondering, like, should I even be paying for that website anymore? You know, like what Mm. the hell? Mm. It's weird because people want to, I don't know. Maybe you can speak to this if if this resonates or not with your Mm -hmm. life experience, but like, Getting known for a thing, and then if you want to do this other stuff, then it feels weird. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. you're Anthony Hopkins. Oh, you're a painter. Cool, because you're Anthony Hopkins <laughs> or Jim Carrey. You know, great. You know, we're we're like willing to tolerate this, but like, oh god, it, yeah. but unless you're like a super rock star, mm-hmm. s- super super, then it yeah. feels like every hyphen you add is just like people just walking away. You know? <laughs> just be like, fuck you, man. You're not that great. Yeah. No, totally, dude. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating to me. I mean, I would definitely say, I mean, just as a fan, keep paying for the website. I think the work is amazing. (laughs) And I think like, it's a good thing to zoom out and see that when it comes to creative work, I mean, it's a lifetime and that 
there probably will be another cycle for you where you go back to it and um, expand on it and continue where you left off. Maybe it'll be completely a huge hyper jump from where you left off, but there's something about leaving up those portals for people to stumble upon and to allow it to be this mechanism of connection and sort of a synchronicity generator and just all kinds of, it would be sort of heartbreaking to take it down. But also I think like maybe a disservice to take it down. And yeah, man, I mean, it's hilarious the way you put that. I used to try to, I I didn't say it quite as eloquently, but I think I I wrote it down in like a a phrase of like, everybody hates Bo Jackson. Like this idea, (laughs) like, like who the fuck are you, dude? You already have one thing, you know, fuck you. There is like that sense of, Oh God, really another, another hyphen. But you know, I think, we kind of have time on our side in, in in which like there's no better time to be alive. Maybe maybe the Renaissance is a different another example of this, but I would still say that now is like the most normal it's ever been to be a, a person who does multiple things. And um, the other thing we have on our side is that it's almost become a necessity, you know, in order for to survive. So many people, and I think this is relative to levels of success too you know you see people that yeah sure they seem ultra successful in one thing but then you realize like no everyone's got this side hustle now like (laughs) like all the way up the ladder and yeah of course like the anthony hopkins and and like those people that are just the mega 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 stars they're just exploring the other parts of their their self you know capital s self and i think that's great but yeah they could basically pick up anything and it's uh marketable because it's this person trying their hand at this other thing and everyone's like oh well, i i want to buy that or you know that's interesting um but for us it's kind of like we have to prove ourselves um we have to prove that we're not just keanu reeves or whoever else has like <laughs> some other thing that they do i think our acting is keanu reeves's side hustle now <laughs> you know and he's really just like, like uh kung fu master yeah dude that you touched on that i did not touch on which i was thinking and i'm glad you brought it up which is the necessity Mm. of this now that like i when i gave that talk last weekend uh my my friend sean paul von onken Mm -hmm. he's a community organizer at arco santi in arizona i don't do you know about arco santi Uh, it sounds super familiar but i don't think i know it if you ever have if you're going through phoenix on tour every tour yeah Pop up 45 minutes to Arco Santi and check that place out. It's, it's really special. It was, this is a total aside, but it was designed by this guy, Paolo Soleri, who is this visionary architect who studied under Franco Lloyd Wright, hated cars, saw the city as an organism and mm. was like, let's build these enormous buildings that can hold like a hundred thousand people and they function like a living thing. Wow. His stuff, like Arcosanti isn't that. It was never completed. So it's sort of just like the ruins of one of these buildings. So it has this weird sort of retro futurist vibe where now all of the co-op that's like living there, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's strange. It's like almost like a Blade Runner, Planet of the Apes kind of a thing going on. But, mm. but, but like actually very sort of utopian. You know, everyone's working together really well and they support the thing by making bells. And so you'll find these Arcosanti bells like all over the world. It's really cool. But anyway, Sean Paul was just talking to me about 
I'm not even sure I'm supposed to be telling people this, but he, he just got, uh, he's like this super chill dude you would expect to see on like a Portland farm or something. Like, you know, he's, he's like in that zone of being like an excellent communicator and events organizer kind of type, real friendly, real, you know, like mm-hmm. smart, but huggy. <laughs> and then he tells me this last trip that he, just got his certification last year to be a private investigator. Whoa. And he was like working with his uncle as a PI, like over the winter and stuff. And he was going back to do more of it. And he was talking about the, the post career thing. I, I think he said our, our parents don't understand that our lives are non career lives. Mm. You know, that like, they're still thinking like, Oh, you have a career. Now I've always, I've, I've thought of this in terms of like, our grandparents had one job their whole life. Mm-hmm. Our parents, seven jobs. Yeah. And then we have seven jobs at the same time. Yeah. You know, and that mm-hmm. like, so there's something in, in that, that I was again with the sort of book of Exodus thing that like, we have to be a different state of matter than mm-hmm. we've, we've, we're brought up to believe, you know, that like, totally. that we're not solid. We're like fluid. fluid. Now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, man, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that it makes me think about being young, like being a kid and sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I'd have some page, I'd have pages filled with all the things I wanted to do and be and kind of remembering the pain I would feel when someone would sort of tell me, no, I'd have to pick one, you know? Fuck and, you! Yeah, exactly. But then, like, seeing again how I live in this world where it's not only do I not have to pick one, but that I almost have to pick multiple ones, um, makes me, it's like another one of those things where you kind of feel like, this is a, sim- a simulation, isn't it? Like, this is what I dreamed of as a kid, exactly. <laughs> you know? And, and I have lots of those moments of, like, this is so weird and uncanny. It's like, this is exactly what, you know, this is such a pinch me moment. And I have those pinch me moments a lot and they're not always ecstatic, but you know, sometimes they're horrific, but the ones that are ecstatic, I don't know. I've learned to, instead of being paranoid about them, kind of sort of uh, be like accepting of them or at least give in to pro noia rather than paranoia. <laughs> This actually, it's, it, this seems like the right time to, to go here because you, mm. you mentioned Pronoia, which is the book that I brought with me to the Amazon when I went down to Peru for ayahuasca. Ooh. And Ooh. I like, I actually had it with me, like, wow. <laughs> in case I needed an anchor mm. or something, you know? Yeah. Um, and I know that you just got back and yeah. having not heard any of your other discussions that you've recorded about this i don't even know if there any of them are out yet yeah yeah how was that for you that that's definitely the space that we're you know i feel like you know what we're really saying underneath all this is life is just getting really really trippy and yeah (laughs) and maybe you were like prepared more than you might otherwise have been but it's a good question it's still echoing sort of like is that like was any of my preparation did it do anything for me I, I'd like to think that it did. I felt like it, it did, but at the same time, for every question I had, for every struggle I went there to sort of face or investigate deeper, it, it just flowered out into more questions and more things to focus on, things to look at. 
And I think in a lot of ways, I expected that. I certainly didn't expect it to be some panacea or like, I don't know. I didn't expect to get all the answers, but I mean, it was absolutely wonderful. It was everything. It was horrific. It was beautiful. It completely, I mean, it changed or it expanded upon the growing change that I've sort of been going through of just like, you know, what I see as reality. I don't know, which I'm sure you're really familiar with. I know you have a lot more experience with it than I do. Not much, really. Just longer ago. Okay. I've been sat in ceremony twice in 2011 and 2014. Just once each time? No, a few times, but it was like, yeah, it was like over the period of a few days each time. Okay. But yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was, um, it was so powerful. I mean, I went into it with more reverence and more respect and more fear than I think I've gone into anything else as far as initiations go. And, and I think that really informed the process and the experience. And I, I sort of was aware of that as I was preparing, you know, the, the dieta, every, every aspect of like media purging and sort of examination of where my attachments lie, where my, where am I in bondage in my life? You know, kind of all these things really were part of the experience. And it seemed like my ayahuasca ceremony, my first one was like, seven months long, you know, cause it was like <laughs> the second I decided I was going to do it, there was just this unraveling. And I, I'm just so appreciative of that. But also I think I've never been in more awe of a medicine. I've never been in more awe of a, of a, yeah, like it truly was like, Oh, okay. The rules of reality change by zip code. That is true. This, that is exactly <laughs> proven now for me. And then I think just seeing all of, you know, if I really trace back what brought me to that experience, there is a very mystical quality to it. There is a very like chin scratching, like, wow. When we first started chatting, like over, like on WhatsApp or whatever we were talking through well over a year ago, I was like in this vortex of synchronicity and all this stuff was like happening. And I was kind of trying to find my footing in it. But sure enough, that vortex led me to all these people and all these events and, and experiences and, and eventually culminating into me going into, to Peru to have this crazy experience and and it all felt very like it felt full circle it felt like it felt like a time loop i guess let's put a pin in that because i know you and i have both been like ooh, let's talk about time loops for quite a while (laughs) and like the shane moss synchro vortex chapel perilous kind of thing yeah but you just said something and my little ears perked up because this sounds so much like what i got out of my first ceremony Mm-hmm. When you said, I know now that the, the rules change by zip code. Yeah. So I want to, like, could you elaborate on that, please? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it became apparent to me that I was witnessing things that in my normal place of residency would be defined as magic, like pure and simple. And yet they were being treated with such normalcy in the container that we were at 
and everything was being discussed just very matter-of-factly. We did five ceremonies in seven days, and just being in that space and realizing I was being physiologically like the the medicine was inside of us almost the entire time from the first time to the end but it was kind of amazing to me how certain things would reactivate it even when i wasn't hadn't drank yet or even the days following the second the lights went out i would shift and literally feel as if i was back in the ceremony house in my chair like teleportation feeling like astral travel style just witnessing, you know, this huge group of strangers all individually going into these portals simultaneously. And when we were all just, you know, discussing our experiences and I, I, I really, it really felt like there wasn't a one that didn't have some element of what the fuckness to it. Like, how could that happen? And, <laughs> and, and, and just the, whether it is like this, like non-local, non-linear, aspect to it which is definitely the element for me that has me constantly being like wow like that has me in awe a lot but also just the telepathic aspect of it never so clearly have i experienced telepathy than in that medicine well and, explain what kind of stuff you were uh, i mean sensing. it was everything it was everything from feeling like I was having someone else's experience in the room to then have it being confirmed by talking to them later to then perceiving these, these Icaros coming from Don Alberto and at points feeling as if it was being translated in my mind and I was getting exactly the message that I then found out was in the song that I didn't understand because I don't speak that language. Just moments of like, you you don't even need to confirm it afterwards. I mean, I, I wound up doing these kinds of questioning later on as we would have these dialogues. Anytime it would happen, especially with the shared experience of, of the others in there. But it was just this sense of, oh, I'm experiencing telepathy right now, <laughs> You're like in the moment. And, you know, I've had things that had telepathic leanings or kind of felt as if, oh, that's the implication here. But this was like, oh, fuck, I'm actually experiencing this in real time. And that's a new thing. <laughs> well, now, OK, so this is one of those big questions, right, about about the time loops thing, right, which is, you know, Eric Wargo's cunning maneuver here is by identifying that like there haven't been telepathy experiments where the subjects didn't get confirmation afterwards mm -hmm. and so there's this question of like am i actually reading your mind or am i just reading my own future mind right that's a really good point so I shouldn't have confirmed. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, how would you otherwise know? Like, it's how do you right. keep yourself from asking in a way that then becomes useful to the, the corpus of psychic research? <laughs> like, it just, right. But when I was in ceremony five years ago, a big piece of that for me was this sort of blurring 
of the past in the same way that there's a blurring of the future of like the overlapping possibilities and sitting down with my partner being like, Hey, did this thing happen like this or did it happen like Mm. this? And being in this sort of space where it felt like I was like halfway out of our timeline and like, couldn't remember which timeline I was supposed to be in sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, so there's like this thing about high dose psychedelic experiences where yeah, I I don't know that I would be having this show at all if I didn't get into these spaces where this kind of question were coming up, you know, mm-hmm. where it's mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, what is the past? What is the future? Like, what does it mean? Are we actually, because if we are telepathic now, then there's like a static snapshot of some bigger mind that we're involved in now. Mm-hmm. But like, if that's not the case and we're just reading our own future, then that shape is different. It's a different thing. Like, it's not like you and I are joined in the way that we might be kind of inclined to think about it in the body of some invisible squid or whatever, you know? It's yeah, like, why, 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 why is it always a squid? God damn it. Or that a jellyfish. Like, no, but it, I mean, for me, my synchronicity vortex revolved around octopi and squids and, and so, and it's it's just always like I mean I know that there's this archetype and that it really does represent sort of the the unknown the alien it makes sense that it that it fills this space in the imaginal realm but god damn it <laughs> it just always comes up so okay so what, what was your uh, is it even possible to compress the squid oh, synchronicity god. vortex I think at some point I was in it and I was explaining it to anyone that actually cared. I think at some point I measured it at like four and a half hours it would take to get through the whole thing, right? <laughs> it was crazy. I was just like, well, well, okay. And now it's like, it's like this self-protective mechanism where it's like, oh yeah, just go ahead and try to explain this to anybody. You know, it makes it so that it's impossible, but you know, it was just truly a synchronicity that was born in in a psychedelic experience in Hawaii with my band and we were we all took penis envy mushrooms very intense and had this extremely meta synchronicity that played on the the concepts of like skepticism and belief which I've had play out in many psychedelic experiences it's like these you know these camps kind of get built and you watch this. Oh, you mean like this, within the group? Like people? Yeah. Like I saw that. Oh, did you? That? Yeah. 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 That and just the the nature of the person, whichever way they lean, gets amplified, obviously, in the experience. And it's like reinforcing. So there, there's very seldom is there the moment where like the skeptic becomes the believer. Like that's the, that's the moment we're all always waiting for. And in fact, that was this first synchronicity was born out of me saying to my bandmate, like, what would it take to make you just be like, what the fuck? And he was like, <laughs> I, I don't know, but you know, it would be more than that. And I was like, I just can't wait to be like, if that, if that ever happens, I want to be there for that. And then the next night, like <laughs> he literally said, what the fuck? And had that moment right in front of me. And that experience was all around the octopi was part of it. So that was like, it was amazing. It felt like such a gift 
to have that experience, but then it proceeded to haunt me and come after me well after the psychedelics had worn off. And it was like octopi synchronicity after octopi synchronicity up to, up to a dozen a day for like three months. And like, and it had a sense of humor and a personality. And it was like something was connecting and speaking through this stuff. It got to the point where I started, I was so convinced that it was worth following and worth playing with that I was buying plane tickets. I was jumping on, I was going places that it seemed to be pointing me to and, and it would pay off. It would lead me to people and places and I would be like in all of it, but then I would just be like, don't get carried away. Enjoy the liminal space. Try to be as non-dualistic as possible with this so you don't wind up in the, in the loony bin. Because I think that's what does put us into the loony bin is that our, you know, our rigidity to being open to the maybe, you know, and I think I can understand totally being attached to skepticism to a point where you want to resist any of these tempting conclusions as this is unfolding, but I was really lucky to have people around me that they didn't see it as, uh oh, <laughs> like you got issues. You know, they were kind of like, wow. Like a lot of them reinforced the wowness of it. And I think probably because I wasn't exhibiting any extremely scary behavior, no one was like, hey, you might want to talk to somebody, you know? So I was lucky that my set is one of openness and not trying to categorize or or even dominate an experience in which I have to know why and how I think because I'm an artist, because I'm always seeking inspiration that for me, this was almost, like I said, a gift and it never, it's not like it led me to cross the street in, in heavy traffic or tried to like off me in any way. It wasn't trying to lead me to horrible things. It was leading me to all these beautiful things. So yeah, the paranormal aspect of it was a little frightening at times, but mostly, yeah, th that's just what it was. And then eventually, if I look at the causal arrow, it led me to Michael Phillip. It led me to all these friends and, and eventually it furthered me in my psychedelic sort of reunion of sorts. You know, I started taking psychedelics as a very young person, but I had a big gap there for a while. So yeah, it, it led me back into that and then eventually led me to Peru and, and then I wound up even having on, on my most difficult trip, I wound up having a finally a, a confrontation and interaction with an octopus what? in my vision, you know, and it, and it gave me this beautiful lesson, but it was just kind of ironic because I, you know, I'd been doing a lot of like therapy and stuff leading up to this, um, and actually working with a psychedelic therapist and who specializes in integration and, and preparation. And I was talking to her beforehand being like, I'm kind of terrified that I'm going to have this kind of confrontation with this entity that I don't presume is actually an octopus, but that's been using it as a mask. And it's going to sort of, who knows, you know, just like 
What's this going to be? Open its jaws and swallow me. She was just like, you know, you have to just welcome it and see what it has for you. And I was just, you know, I knew that was true, but I was also subconsciously resistant to that. And, and the beautiful lesson that wound up coming through was in my hardest moment in my going through a, what I thought the normal time is four to six hours. You know, I found myself in a 12 hour excruciating hell experience, but at the tail end of it, as I was still in vision and sort of like in the depths of despair, I had this gigantic octopus floating above me, sleeping, giving me this download about loneliness and, and mm. the importance of companionship with other beings and how, it sort of reflected to me that I had caused its loneliness by refusing to accept its existence. You know? It's very, very, very <laughs> profound, but overwhelmingly this emotional download that came through was how sacred companionship is and how sacred other beings are uh, like what we can give to each other by having these experiences together by just, you know, spanning time together. That is like the most sacred thing we can do as beings. Um, and I was like, wow, that was, uh, really, you could have just came to me and told me that, you know, you didn't need all that, that year of lead up, but I don't know. There's all that path <laughs> dependency, right? Like, mm -hmm. could I have learned this five years ago? No, no, no. And it's true. Yeah. I needed all that. Are you an OA fan? Oh, yeah. Old and night. when that happened, yeah. that scene fucking, I was like, oh, God. You're like, what? Ramin's texting me. He's like, oh, my God. You're not even, you don't even know. You don't even know what's coming. Like, you know? Like, yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. And, and again, like, it's weirdly, that is sort of the same message, right? Mm -hmm. It's like that whole thing, that whole show is about community and and love and belonging and also like let the octopus choke you, you yeah know? yeah yeah exactly that's um yeah another thing that you just said i found really interesting was that it was a sleep there's this video that's been going around i think it's a nash uh, pbs video uh excerpt from some documentary of this octopus scientist talking mm. about the sleeping octopus have you seen this where it's changing colors while it's asleep is it the one, is it called octopus dreaming? But it's like, you just see it floating in the tank. Mm -hmm. it's, it's going through these different colors and he's explaining what those colors would mean while it's awake. So he's telling a story about what he yeah. thinks the octopus is dreaming about. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even weirder is that like one of the huge synchronicities that almost sent me spiraling out was like... I, at, a, at a certain point, I thought I, I had received the message. It had come through. It was the end. Obviously, I, there could be no more. And then, you know, that day I am going through on Twitter and I'm about to like tweet at maps and post this picture of Zach Leary giving this like podcast at this event that I was at with Shane Moss and a bunch of other people. And then as I go to find out what their handle is, and I'm just double checking that I have the right thing, they, a new tweet pops up and it's like, maps conference at the sleeping octopus. Oh yeah. And I'm just like, In Philadelphia, right? Uh, yeah, yeah Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Pittsburgh. So yeah. I wound up going to that last year because of that <laughs> <laughs> alone <laughs> and, uh, made, made a bunch of friends, but that really, I think maybe that was that and watching those kind of videos maybe is why 
it presented itself in that way of sleeping. It also was, I was trying to sleep too. I was like in this position of trying just in torment, laying in the ceremony house and uh, wishing I could move, <laughs> but I couldn't. Is this mostly, mostly physical or was it mental, psycho, emotional? Because it was so, it was still a completely dark space. It was still producing a lot of visions. And I think because I hadn't purged at all, I was still having the blocky 8-bit sort of typical tryptamine kind of vision. But then the second I would close my eyes or sort of like be half enclosed eye, half opened eye, I would start having visions. And all the elements were perfect because I they had a pool outside and like the lights through the pool were sort of reflecting into the dark space of the ceremony house. So there was like that kind of wave ambient light happening. So it created the perfect effect of, Oh, I'm underwater. And so that wound up being the vision with the octopuses that we were both sleeping at the bottom of the ocean together, all very poetic. And, you know, which is again, just the mystery of ayahuasca is how poetic a lot of it is. I mean, and there's pure chaos too, but I found that a lot of my bigger lessons and quote unquote downloads were just so poetic. You know, I was just overtaken by the intelligence of it. Yeah. I don't know. Did you find that at all when you were with it? Like, yeah. How, how was your experiences? Like, what was they like for you? Jesus Christ. I'm afraid to see. Here's the thing. Like when I first got back from Peru in 2011, I was going around telling everybody, like, I feel like I took the content literally. Like, Mm. I don't think I was reading it like a poem. I was like, I saw what's going to happen over the next several years, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think I missed when I like reading Eric Davis's high weirdness. I don't know if you've read that book. It's spectacular. It is. And he talks about how Terrence McKenna sort of like, lost the plot like he yeah. he became too literal he like held he on his own hype yeah he, yeah exactly he's he drank his own kool-aid and i think that that's where i was after the first one so it's hard for me to know like i will say that like to your your thing about reality having different rules and different zip codes one of the big things that i came away from that first and I, admittedly ours was weird uh i went down with papadocio the band and oh, and wow. their their friends and their girlfriends and their tour manager and everybody there's 17 wow. of us wow. that went down together it was not a healthy place like mm. it's not like blue morpho i don't mm-hmm. think the container was held very well at all it, it ended up getting shut down because of unethical stuff oh wow uh okay. like uh, only like a year or so after we were there and yet I went down kind of expecting it to be a really difficult, like a warrior initiation thing. And yes. so even though there was a lot of questionable stuff going on, like the the first thing was that we were all separated. Mm. The shaman guy, I don't even, I can't call him a curandero. He's more like a brujo, right? Like, okay. he looked like Wario Oof. for starters. Yeah. He looked like mm. the Peruvian Wario. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of an intimidating, kind of an asshole, kind of a guy. And like, for me, it's just sort of like, okay, well, people with access to, you know, with one foot in the other realm kind of don't have 
the same responsibility. Like I was just reading this thing about whistleblowers and like whistleblowers tend to be people with their own strong values and, and like they're, you know, the public has a weird conflicted relationship with them because they're often kind of assholes, you know? And I think the same thing is true of like gurus and medicine people in general, you know, they're not necessarily in service of your human rules or whatever, you Mm. know, but at the same time, he definitely did some horrible shit that he deserved to be addressed for. But at any rate, so I was in that sort of space with it where I was just like, all right, whatever, you know, like you're going to, you know, kind of be an asshole to us. You're going to be, you know, you're going to separate us all and put us on our own spaces. I was actually Drill glad. Sergeant. Yeah. I was glad for it because I was like, I had to do so much purging on that trip that I, I think I would have been mortified if I'd have had to have been in a group. Like I was just like naked and shitting myself for an entire <laughs> night. One of these nights, yeah. you know, just like if I were, I don't know how that would have even worked if I'd have been sitting in a group of people, you know, like it, that, the idea. And luckily, you know, when I, when I sat in ceremony in 2014, also very unorthodox, it was a daytime thing. Two mm. of the three times that we drank were during the day. And it was regarded, you know, like the last day he actually took everyone on like a silent processional through the land. And, and we, you know, so we were up and moving and encouraged to, mm. to stretch and go walk around and commune with That's trees. Cool. And yeah, so it was very different. That's all necessary context. None of that answers your question. That's all right. I love it. So the thing with the, the reality and, and different rules, mm-hmm. you know, pluralism and so on, uh, that first Peruvian trip, I had the sense that I was being shown the actual geometry of our galaxy, mm. that our map of the universe is completely wrong. And it, like, it was really specific. It was like, you misunderstand redshift. Redshift and blue shift is not about the relative motion of these things, but about the dust getting in the way or not getting in the way of it's more like a red sunsets, you know, it's not like the sun is zooming away from us. And so it was saying, okay, so you, what you haven't done is mapped out all of these bands of electrically charged space dust that exists between these solar systems. And it was explaining that like, as our planet orbits the galaxy on this long, slow wave of millions of years, that it's moving in and out of these bands. They're like striations in Riverstone or something. And then as it's moving through these bands, it charges the magnetic envelope of the planet in different ways. Like the planet is reacting to the higher or lower electrical activity of its environment in such a way that it changes the genetic expression of organisms living on the planet. And so that it was saying that like there are these eras of millions of years where the rules of biology are like this. And then as we move through the galaxy, the rules of biology change. And it was like, it was saying like, you're moving into one of these bands of dust that is going to change your gene expression so that things that you considered biologically impossible are going to become possible. And it was like telling me about how like we're about to be able to like regrow all of our limbs and we're going to all become telepathic. And like, and it was just like, it was, it was really like telling me that the rules of physics were going to change in just like a few years. Wow. And of course, like Bill Thompson has this thing about profits and 
predictions. And like, it's important not to mistake a prophecy for a prediction. Mm -hmm. You got to rotate the whole thing 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, I felt like to your point about the intelligence of, of ayahuasca, it was giving me what I believe to be very precise scientific information. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's information that I cannot verify. And in retrospect, I think that some of the things I took literally are either about a much longer time frame or are just poems right about broader sort of things about reality that that i mi- mm-hmm. i misunderstood sure but then yeah like then there's other stuff there's like this other layer which is like rather than communicating through language communicating through like just direct reprogramming and i feel like i i definitely got some of that too where like especially on the second the the time i sat in ceremony in texas Mm-hmm. Do you know Robin Arnott, Topher Sipes? They work on mm-hmm. Sound Self in Austin. Mm-hmm. They're they, they have a, a VR company, Andromeda Entertainment. That uh, Robin's oh, company. That sounds familiar. Robin has designed this video game called Sound Self, which is uh, Topher, my old friend, did graphic work for, where you chant in VR, and then as you're chanting, the visuals and the audio feedback line up with you. So it's like biofeedback through chanting and and it's like an ayahuasca type deal where like things come into phase and then you feel like you got the double trampoline bounce and you've moved into Uh, the next space yeah and then like everything like all the graphics like open up and you like go into a new zone whoa that sounds awesome yeah and it's like that there was something about that about like like calibrating my attention to something that I was seeing with my eyes closed so that like all of these circles rotating at different speeds would like combine like a combination lock. And then Mm. as soon as they were all synchronized, then it would start flashing. And I felt like I was actually, what's the word optogenetics where like they, they shine light into the brains of mice and then they give the mice like new memories. Like they teach the mice how to run a maze or whatever by activating their DNA with laser light. And I was like, that's what's going on right now. Like I am, (laughs) I was like, I don't know what I'm being taught, but I can tell that my brain is being reprogrammed by this weird, like what is essentially like a a baby toy that I'm supposed to be looking at, you know, like it's like this thing on the ceiling and it's just like, look at this, look at this. And then it's like, there you go. The injection. So, wow. Yeah. That sounds somewhat familiar. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had so many weird interactions with shapes and lights and what I would dub as light beings. And there was just, so obviously, uh, yeah, whether it, whether it was all like allegory or just like whatever, it, it felt like there was this, even if it was my, my conscious, my, my higher conscious, like that it was connecting me to some part of myself that knows infinitely more than my conscious mind. It, it, I was just constantly astounded by it being so in control and sort of just giving me exactly what it it seemed to know what i needed in order like the perfect kind of combo to give me either whether it was an emotional an emotional thing that i needed like one of my intentions was to like understand self-love in a way that i haven't been able to which is to experience it without 
simultaneously analyzing it, you know, cause that's, mm. that's one of my biggest parts of myself is that. So doing like IFS therapy, which I was doing the Michael Garfield binge leading up to this. And I heard you talk about a process called big mind, yeah, yeah, which yeah. sounds exactly like IFS to me. So I've been doing a lot of IFS, which is internal family systems therapy. And it's all about how the self is multiple and how you have all these autonomous parts and they all have things they want. And there's a lot of polarizations inside. And essentially, you know, what I uncovered doing this work was that the reason why I can't quote unquote love myself is that a huge part of me is this ever present analyzer that can't let go of its job. Therefore, I can't truly feel self-love because I'm sitting there analyzing the concept of self-love while I'm trying to feel it. Anyway, in the medicine, it was like it knew exactly what I needed in order to feel it. And it chose this visual representation of a film strip that was just, you know, in infinite in length. And it just showed me thousands of versions of myself and all these memories of me helping someone else or just having some kind of human connection that I would see as beautiful, but it would show me like butterfly effects from me helping one person and then them helping others Whoa. and all these things, you know, all these perfect, like the exact perfect recipe for what it would take for me to feel it as well as it knew it had to have this cocktail of like retro causal kind of, uh, I was in the Icaros and having, after gone through all this stuff, and I've talked about this a little bit at other places, but it's quick, so I'll just tell you. Exclusive content only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was having this moment where I found myself staying on the surfboard in my first ceremony, where which was like, at this point, I had gone through the most profound ego death experience I've ever had where I, I was just annihilated and lost all sense of my being and was coming back. And it was like giving me some of my pieces back. It felt like it had to do that in order for me to be able, it was like, okay, we have to get rid of this analyzer. And the only way that's going to happen is if I totally obliterate you. So then it obliterated me, then started building me back up, but building me carefully so that the analyzer couldn't come in and it had to show me this moment where I was locked into the Icaros and the Shikapa. And this is something I've walked around doing my entire life where I walk around with this sort of nod and it's to no music and people always sort of comment on it and, you know, kind of joke about it, <laughs> but I do it compulsively and I don't necessarily consciously hear anything. So this moment where I'm locked into the Shikapa, all of a sudden like a 360 vision of myself in the darkness of the room, nodding to it, then film strips out to thousands of me all the way back to being a kid, nodding to nothing, all nodding, all these selves nodding to the Icaro <laughs> as if it was showing me that it had magnetized me from like a time I was a kid all the way to this moment. And from there is where it then spiraled out and built out all these uh, beautiful butterfly effects and kind of like, and it just kept saying, look at you, look at you. Like, you know, like, like encouraging me to kind of like gaze in the mirror of like why I should love myself. You know, that was just like, wow. 
So that's what it takes, huh? <laughs> like that's what it takes for me to love myself is to see all that. Wow. I'm a little high maintenance, I guess. But yeah, that was quite, quite amazing. Well, you know, that is amazing. There's a couple things in there. One is I don't know enough about uh, internal family system stuff to know whether this is a part of it. Mm. But one of the things that I really liked about Big Mind uh, or that I, I value about that, it's funny, you know, even saying I like Big Mind, it's like, all right, well, which me? Right. Which, which, mm -hmm. who's talking right now? Which right. is the value of that kind of thing is, you know, yes. you're starting to recognize the multiplicity of it or of I am, you yes. know, like who am I? Uh, we, mm -hmm. you know, that's why I always thought I'm now on just like a, a fractal tangent, but I always thought the devil gets a bad rap when they're talking about, you know, our, our names are many because our names are, you know, I am Legion, this whole mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, well, all of the angels are like that. You know, it's not just the devil. It's like all of, all of us are, are a plural. Absolutely. But so there's this thing about the analyzer in big mind, all of the voices you ask them at some point, well, are you ever going to stop doing this? You know, right. are you ever going to stop being the skeptic? Are you ever going to stop mm -hmm. being the romantic? Are you ever mm -hmm. going to stop being the vulnerable child or the mm -hmm. damaged self? And each one of these voices in its angelic eternal, archetypal purity is like no it's <laughs> like that's like saying pikachu isn't pikachu you know it's like they it's like you just are that thing you're gonna say pikachu for the rest of your life and so that seems really essential yeah to allowing it to be what it is you know to knowing that your wounded nature is always going to be wounded and specifically that because it's like the queen chess piece makes it so that the bishop doesn't have to be the queen. It's like mm -hmm. your damaged self takes the bullet for the rest of them so that it can be like the the Christ on the cross, the perfectly wounded thing, and then everyone right. else is not. And like that really mm -hmm. is, I think, I, I didn't expect to go on a Christianity rant. Like I don't <laughs> consider myself a Christian per se, but I really value that piece of it. The idea, I think it's a mistake in the same way that I made a mistake about ayahuasca to see the like, well, Jesus died for your sins thing. It's like, well, that doesn't mean that some dude 2000 years ago took a bullet so that you can be a douchebag to everybody and like <laughs> get away with it. It's like there's what it means is that there's a part in, in each of us that is crucified. Yes. You know, in order to be the, like that stone that, you know, again, like the stone, the builder threw away or whatever, you know, it's like that, yeah. that that's the right piece that you yeah. need to build that thing. Mm -hmm. The other thing I, w I wanted to bring up from what you just said was the issue of you rocking. I love that, like the nod, you know, yeah. like seeing the, the eternal nodding. So that's what I'm calling the podcast, by the way, the cosmic nod. The cosmic nod, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny because when I, I, I haven't released this episode with Michael Phillip from before uh, he went to ceremony, I'm like way overdue right. to put his episode out, but it was all about his experience with a different. I think he was, it was like a psilocybin trip or something where he mm -hmm. talked about getting the cosmic wink. Yeah. Oh, cosmic. Yes. Oh, the cosmic. Yes. yes. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's lots of, lots of a uh, cosmic. Affirmation. Oh, well, he gave me, he gave me the, as I was telling him about that experience, he was like the cosmic nod. And he's like, that's what you should call the podcast. And I was like, I think you're right. I think you just named another podcast. He named God sees podcast. He, <laughs> you know, I'm like, 
Well, I think, yeah, great. <laughs> so, so it's, 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 so he's to blame. Okay. He, he is to blame. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, so that um, thing though, to go to back to the time loop thing is that, uh, Wargo talks about jouissance, mm-hmm. the habit that, mm-hmm. you know, like that lover that, you know, is bad for you, but it's just so good, you know, mm-hmm. or the cigarettes or whatever it is. Yep. And he says that this is, that the whole deal is that if precognition is about, rewarding you for making decisions that favor a future state of yourself like that it's like an evolutionary reward feedback loop thing yeah so it would make sense in this kind of counterintuitive way that it's easier to orient yourself to a future that is familiar or recognizable he was kind of suggesting that that's why people get into these weird habits you know, these compulsive, repetitive patterns, because you're anchoring yourself, you're making the future easier to understand because you know that you're an addict or whatever. Mm. Like, you know that you're going to be, <laughs> you're going to be sitting there with your, your highball at 10 p.m. tomorrow night and 10 p.m. the night after that. Right. And so it's, it's yeah. just funny how like that, there really is like a kind of a, a stitching that we do through time in order to to sow the course of our lives or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well something I was thinking about just uh when you were talking about the big mind thing, because I was I was sort of, you know, trying to see how similar it is to IFS was there is a slight difference, which is that I think IFS took the concept of uh reverse psychology and sort of uh bargaining and the way that you interact with these parts becomes like a negotiation of sorts. And like you said, you know, you, you approach them in big mind and you're like, are you ever going to change? And it replies, obviously, no. Now, the IFS approach is a prodding of what would you like to do if you didn't have to do this job all the time? Oh. Or, or, or what, do you, what are you afraid would happen? If you didn't do this job or uh, there's all these kind of uh, interesting leading questions that you can start to have, especially. So I think the archetypal parts are probably there to stay. And again, it does embrace the concept of acceptance of that and nurturing and sort of not trying to expel shadow parts necessarily. But it does um, embrace this idea of transformation and sort of promotion, you know. So if you have a part that's like really a sort of punishing part, a part that can lead you into um, habits or kind of compulsive thought patterns or just anything that's sort of hindering you, you can negotiate and even update because a lot of times in IFS, they see it as um, – Depending on what the the role is, if it's a part that was born out of a trauma, and most likely it's some kind of younger trauma, this updating principle is uh, you ask, how old do you think I am? And often the first response is a single digit, you know, and you have to respond with, actually, I'm 38 and uh i can protect myself and you kind of have to update it and once you update it there's sort of an instant somatic response that you can sense happen as some of these parts get updated and 
at even times if they get relieved of their duties, you know, because they feel like, oh shit, I don't have to do this weird thing I've been doing that was born out of this mechanism of thinking I wasn't being protected or I, you know, whatever. So, so there's this sort of like sly part of, of IFS, which is you're never trying to force a part to give up its role. In fact, the first time I did IFS, I noticed instantly that these parts that I was dialoguing with increasingly got aggressive with me because I think they were perceiving that I was trying to expel them. And I, I was instantly taken by that, that they had this sort of, like I said, like this autonomy and this, uh, but yeah, so the, the approach is definitely a little more slick and you're trying to basically butter them up, thank them for their service and essentially (laughs) get them to not go away, but just, take a promotion or switch roles because your inner critic can then switch to become your biggest cheerleader. And like all these certain things that can be debilitating, these parts can switch and become huge assets. So it's fascinating shit. Dude. And again, another two things that I feel are really profound there that the, this one, I don't think that I even realized this until you were just saying this now. So. Thank you. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Which is that, right. like, it's one of these things where it's like, I don't know that this insight would have happened without this conversation. Cause we were at the beginning mm. of the conversation, we were talking about taking a job or being uh, swept up into participation of some thing and yeah. there being uh, a dissonance between what you like, the fullness and then like the role that you're taking. You know, I don't think it ever occurred to me since. I guess the first time I did Big Mind was in 2005 that these plural voices that compose us are probably in the same situation where they're like, man, I'm stuck doing social media all day, every day. Like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I'm good at it. Yeah, Yeah. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. But like that there's this this possibility to uh, to promote them into Mm -hmm. like a better fit for what they Mm -hmm. are like Mm -hmm. that your inner skeptic i don't know how this would work psychologically evolutionarily like how you would how i could tell the story in a way my left brain would get behind it (laughs) and i guess in a way we have a plural psychology because we live in community and it may not have been the the simpler forms of community, the roles are a lot less multidimensional and a lot more like rigidly defined. Again, William Irwin Thomason talks about this, where he talks about how everything in society has grown out of basically like the four social roles required for a, a group of hunters, where there's oh, wow. like, there's the athlete, like the pretty boy kind of, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Achilles, there's the yeah. leader. There's the trickster or the the mm. comedian, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then I'm forgetting the fourth. Maybe like the the scout or something. Okay, and so that makes he's like sense. out of the, he talks the, about the how Ninja like Turtles. All, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, so he's like out of this. <laughs> perfect, right? So and then presumably even before that. You know, like as, as these roles get more and more defined and become like the church and the military and the government and the arts, you know, and critics and all this stuff that these voices that exist in us now are like the mitochondria where it's like they used to be their own thing. It used to be like a whole separate guy was that guy, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And like now mm-hmm. we've internalized all of this stuff and it's gotten more like finely differentiated and complex. Mm-hmm. 
And so, yeah, this thought that like, I'm going to, next time I, I'm going to sit with this, I'm going to be like, would you like a promotion? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. What, what would you, Yeah. this is, that's awesome. So, okay. Thank you. One. And then second yeah. of all, the other piece that I really vibe with that you were just talking about was the piece about how the voices get more defensive when you mm-hmm. try to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, to my own cephalopod spirit friend that mm-hmm. I've had weird experiences with all over the years. I talked about this a little bit with Michelangelo. And- yeah, that one gave me chills as yeah. soon as I heard that. I was like, oh my God, get out of here. Yeah, the angel squid, right? Uh, yeah. That that thing, yeah. there was a while when I really felt like it had sort of, it was the living contract between me and my partner. Yeah. That, that it was this thing that existed as the, like it was the moire that appeared in our interference pattern you know it was like it and that if we split up it was afraid that it was going to dissolve and Mm. so it was keeping us together even when we were like going through extreme hardship in our relationship Mm -hmm. so there was a a while there where i was like fuck you fuck this thing i don't want anything to do with it yeah. You're you're a spiritual parasite just pretending to, you know, inhabit me uh, as a friend or whatever. I'm not going to mm-hmm. worship you. In fact, go away. And yeah. there I remember in uh this was like 2 years I guess after we met this thing. I had a, a trip at the lake with some friends and I had decided I was just like get out of here. I don't like you anymore. Like now's the time. <laughs> Fuck off. And mm-hmm. This is actually one of the scariest things that's ever happened to me. I felt like my shoulder, like there were claws in my mm. shoulder that just mm. grabbed me. And like I was Whoa. playing, I was playing with, uh, I like I had a, like a crayon and a piece of paper or something at the time I was doodling. <laughs> and I felt like as soon as I was like, go away, I felt claws dig into my mm. shoulder until I wrote on the piece of paper, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like until I made a physical manifestation of like, I am sorry. Yeah. And then it let go. And I was wow. like, oh, okay. Well, I guess yeah. we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> I guess like there's got to be a different strategy for that. Mm-hmm. And then like these things have come in, up in waves for me. You know, there'll be like years where it's not a thing. And then like it'll show up again. And I'm like, what? And yeah. a couple of years ago, this whole question came up again about whether it was time to banish the angel squid. Mm-hmm. So we were, my partner and I were prepared to do it. It was not a pleasant thing. It was a tragic thing. Yeah. But we were really, we we're like, all right. Like, and obviously like the only way that you can do this effectively is to do it in the same space in which it started, which yeah. meant like we were actually going to engage the, the nightmare situation that we had been avoiding for 10 years, which was to take acid and break up. Wow. You know, and like wow. basically wow. like that whole shit. Yeah. And then the miracle or the the salvific moment that I think will be familiar to people, you know, just to psychonauts listening was that when we did when we got into that space and we were hanging out and like preparing for this awful encounter. Yeah. I realized that the angel squid in my hit biography appeared because I, I had sort of just combined two things, 
like I had been wearing an angel shirt. She'd been wearing a squid shirt and we switched shirts Mm -hmm. and it was Mm -hmm. like, there was a circuit closed. I talked about that with Michelangelo. I was like, wait a minute, you know, in 2017, I was like, wait a minute, I could just combine any two things and like (laughs) create another one. Yeah. And like, I don't need to say, I don't need to like kill this thing. I just need to make a second one. Yeah. And it's the easiest thing ever. Cause all you have to do is be like, angel squid. Okay. Mm. Bam. You know, like <laughs> Google search it, find out that people have already got like dozens of Etsy pages devoted to crap based on this thing that you yeah. didn't, you'd never thought about before. And yeah. so I had, I had two little ornate little dice. One had a, the one face was a unicorn and the one was the one face was an owl. And I was like, so for example, unicorn owl. And then like (laughs) unicorn owl was born. And then like suddenly we realized that we didn't have to, we didn't have to expel or banish this thing that it was just sort of like making a sequel changes the relationship that you have to the first movie. Yeah, You know, that like just making another one diminishes the first one in its significance or its priority, sort of, you know, it's like it graduated from high school. You sent it off to college. (laughs) You're like, you didn't put it in the trunk of your car and drive it into the lake, you know, which is essentially (laughs) what I think is like the fear that at least we're picking up like a reflection of from these things is that they just want to exist, you know, and not have their existence threatened. And I think that in a lot of ways that our that sort of mirrors our, uh, you know, like our creative paths, our career paths, our relationship desires, like we just want to feel possibilities when we want to feel potentials and like openings and not closings, you know, like, so I don't know if that makes sense, but it just feels like it feels like those entities mirror that part of, of humanity in which we just want to feel the potential of everything and not feel like the closing of doors. You ever been arrested? Yeah. So yeah, it's this, it's, it's this thing, right? I think it is. Yeah. It's like, we have this fucked up system in which if somebody does something wrong, we punish them for it. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when I was, moving through the criminal justice system in texas i watched a guy get told that they were going to kill him wow like i watched this guy gets like all right we're giving you the death sentence you know like they walked him out in his like foot and hand chains and i was like i don't know what he did but it reminds me of the way that we deal with cancer you know and it's like we're gonna just destroy the body with chemotherapy in order to kill this thing. And I'm not convinced that the chemotherapy is better than the cancer. Right. You know, like I'm not convinced Mm -hmm. that punishing people for crimes is better than the crimes. Right. Yeah. And, And I think that, you know, in general, there's this question of like, what if we got cancer wrong? Like, what if it's reversible? I bet you a thousand dollars. It's a reversible thing. And that you can yeah. rehabilitate a tumor into being healthy tissue and wow. that, and that we're going to have this figured out like within the next 10 years, you know, with like CRISPR or whatever. And so like, does that yeah. change? Is that going to change the way that we think about our enemies, you know? Cause like talking about like the nasty thing, you know, there's always mm-hmm. that, like the demon is the angel denied kind of thing. Yeah. And like, here we are in this hellish political landscape, 
where it's like, what is the correct answer here? It's, it feels to me like, you know, like this is a Duncan Trussell thing. I'm always hearing him talking about loving the the demons, but it does feel like mm-hmm. we kind of just have to maybe make more demons and like <laughs> do a better job with those and yeah, just keep keep going and like don't look back. Just keep making more demons. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I I I do feel like there's there's some kind of universal wisdom to to this, and it can be hard to. Yeah, it's obviously just excruciating to to like try to go into the issues, the systemic issues of today and try to really put on your your thinking cap of like, all right, what wh- what should we do here? Because I mean, that's pretty much an instant prescription to like, you know, drown yourself in your pool. You know, and, and if, in fact, I think Aya has kind of helped me with this in a way of like feeling a little more confident in following intuition for me, you know, I always want to be sensitive to other people and I always want to respect, I don't know, just perspectives that, that aren't mine and try to understand them or at a, at a minimal respect them that they have their own degree of truth. And just because I don't have them doesn't mean they're not true. The whole reality tunnel thing, but that can be paralyzing in a time where political correctness seems like um, an impossibility, really. No matter what I do, I feel like I can get blasted from either side for one reason or another. You do appear to be both white and male. <laughs> indeed. And indeed. like reasonably successful, you know, like yeah. not not uh, oh, yeah. not like trying to find a, a, a sanitary bathroom, you know? No. Exactly. Yeah, I'm very first world and I'm totally cis white male, all that stuff. But at the same time, it's like it it becomes paralyzing when you feel like you're doing everything in your power to do what you feel like is correct or loving what the loving response is. But then you get sort of like, you know, smacked for it. It can make you feel like either fuck it. I don't want to care anymore. I'm going to just do whatever I want, or it can make you feel like paralyzed in which you're just like, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll just stay silent. Maybe I'll just uh, not stay inactive, kind of isolate. And then recently it's just been more so feeling like, no, you need to embrace your, your human embrace that you're flawed and also embrace that you have this intuition. That's very strong kind of guiding you, telling you, how you can best serve humanity and yourself and your community around you. And you might make a mistake. And if you make a mistake, just fucking own it and then recalibrate and go forward. And that's just the only way you can really do it. But it's really easy to get completely wrapped up in the minutia and all the, all the language and just be like, why, why even bother? You know? So I don't know. Yeah. Hey, I meant to, I, I think we may have already covered this, but I, I meant to ask you at the beginning, before we even started talking, I wanted to ask, what is the single weirdest experience you've ever had? Single weirdest. Ooh. I mean, it might be like months of octopus synchronicity. <laughs> yeah, that one. I mean, there was a lot in that, that whole experience, at least that, that three month period was probably like 
right up against the seven days of ayahuasca ceremonies or whatever, those two were probably the most challenging, like ontologically, just like paradigm shifting in a way. But I'd say... Michael Phillip got to take a drink because somebody said ontologically. That's, that's, uh, uh, I'll sorry, just add, I'll, I'll make him take another one because I want to see him drunk. Uh, I'll say nomenclature. He says that one a lot too. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, so during that first um, synchronicity spiral, there was one especially weird one where my wife and I were were sort of in a um, we weren't in an argument. We were just sort of. I think I had been very deep into this spiral at this point, a couple months in, and she'd been an, a total a total angel witnesser and and supporter and at the time we were actually a couple months away from getting married and and like really she she deserves some credit for not freaking the fuck out because as the wedding is approaching you know her husband to be is having these mystical experiences uh <laughs> days upon days of them and jumping on planes and going places and doing all this thing but anyway so like i think that sort of like hit we hit a little bit of a wall after months of that where I, I was getting ready to actually go out to the sleeping octopus. And um, she had been going through her own kind of a time of really seeing you know, kind of some, some pivotal points of like changing direction and things of interest where she wanted to put her attention. And I sort of was trying to coax her into coming with me to go to Pittsburgh. It was coming off a, of, bunch of you know us already taking off and she just couldn't get the time off from work and she was being responsible and and I, that was me basically saying you know you're you're not taking the call of the octopus like essentially like you're not paying attention to it or whatever the call of the octopus yeah like well because she was expressing almost a feeling of she basically said like um i feel kind of left out you know it's not really talking to me it's not giving me any synchronicities or anything like that. It, you know, I'm just witnessing them. And I was like, well, this kind of, this invitation to go to Pittsburgh is presented to you and you're, you're saying you're not going to go. So I don't think it's going to bang down your door necessarily. Um, but you know, you have to sort of like invite it to play if you want it. I basically was just saying you're not engaging it. And then later that night, we, we kind of like had our, one of our rituals to kind of like get grounded with each other and just sort of reconnect is just having like an art night, kind of like a creative just hang where we drink some wine and listen to music and just make art together and sit around and just do, you know, just let our minds sort of unravel and, and just enjoy being around each other. So we did that that night and it was like a couple, a couple random selections of, a YouTube playlist for visuals in the background on mute, and then uh, some random albums on a playlist like on Apple Music, you know, kind of coinciding. <laughs> there wound up being this insane sync up between these random picks where like the visual on the screen starts syncing up perfectly with the music that's being played out of the playlist. And she's in the other room being like, Oh my God, you're missing it. You're totally missing it. And I, I come in fine. And this is after, like, like I said, synchronicity after synchronicity. And I'm at this point, my level of like, what's going to impress me is like going to take a lot. Cause I, like, <laughs> I'm just like, 
this is nothing compared to the one, the other thing. So I'm like coming in there and taking my time and she's like, Oh, you totally missed it. I was like, Oh, you know, I don't know. Like it's pretty easy for music to sync up with visuals and all this stuff. And she's like, Oh wait, never mind. And then it started really locking in and I was like, Oh wow. And then we proceeded to basically sit in front of the screen for like 45 minutes straight with like our jaws dropped at like how like there were words coming out of the, the, the record that were syncing up with words on the screen. Then there was a moment where I actually got so freaked out and sort of overwhelmed by it. I like grabbed my face like this, like, Oh my God. (laughs) And then the fucking, there was a creature on the screen that did the same thing back as I was doing it. And then we both like screamed and I was like, ah, like, and so like it was very ghost in the machine. Like, and it was just sort of like this, and then I just sat there and like Sarah started like, she's like hyperventilating and she, you know, she has like panic attacks a lot. It has a, you know, panic disorder. And so she's like starting to go into a panic attack and we have to go outside to kind of get air. Cause she's like struggling to breathe and we run outside and, and I'm just like, I'm muttering, like, do you still feel left out? <laughs> you know? Cause she's just like, so <laughs> overtaken. It, it, it like came so loudly just a couple hours after <laughs> she was sort of challenged it. And I'm outside. And as she's on her knees, like at the grass of our backyard, just sort of like hyperventilating, I look up and I basically have this UFO encounter at, and I'm like, Sarah, Sarah, like trying to get her to like, look up. She's just on the ground trying to breathe. And I'm, I'm like presented with this perfect visual paradox of like the real world concerns of like my partner struggling to breathe on the ground and the other kind of like right there beckoning. And I just was kind of overtaken by this moment uh, where it felt like I was just walking in between these two worlds and yeah, I don't know. That was that was really kind of terrifying in a way because it felt like this thing had been challenged and it responded with force, even though it didn't. It, but because um, you know my partner is so susceptible to the the panic stuff, it felt very aggressive. And and yeah, so that moment felt very like charged and 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 sort of uh, gave me this sense of like, oh yeah, you don't want to fuck around with this shit. Like, be careful. You know, mm. so that was a pretty weird experience. Damn. There's a lot in that. I, I feel like that's, it's funny. Cause that's also been the case in my relationship that like, I tend to be the one that's a little bit more, uh, you know, susceptible to receiving signs and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a much more elaborate relationship with my spirit animals and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I, I was actually thinking about that earlier when you were talking about the way that the, you know, in a trip when everyone is sort of amplified into the superhero cartoon version of themselves, yeah, that you get into these situations where it's almost like the the number of those voices in the internal family or big mind or whatever are, mm-hmm. you know, God, actually, this is, it's happening right now. I'm having a, a sort of insight <laughs> into this that, okay, so there's this thing about the internet and how the internet creates stars. But then it like it represses other people from even having a career because that one person is now the only person in the world that does that thing. And Mm -hmm. like when I was just starting to get into percussive guitar, 
it was right at the same time that Andy McKee, who is like also from Eastern Kansas, exploded on YouTube. And then after that, everyone in the fucking world was comparing me to Andy McKee. And I was like, all right, well, I guess that's taken time to move on to something else, you know, and that I feel like that working at SFI, like I'm starting to understand the network effects, like the reasons that this happens in economics. They talk about increasing returns. It's like viral anything, you know, uh, or pyramid schemes, you know, like the the first mover has this advantage, you know, the network builds around them. And I, I feel like, I guess I'm just now realizing, I think that something like that happens in the psychedelic experience where ordinarily you might have this like healthy, robust ecosystem of local musicians that are all like doing their thing. And then taking psychedelics connects all of those brain regions like the internet and then yeah. creates this like superstar effect where like some sub personality steps forward and becomes the Donald Trump. And then like everyone else. <laughs> Is just like in the shadow of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, that's just a long winded way of getting around to how it seems like I tend to be the one that's like, it's a UFO. Look at the UFO. <laughs> like it's right there. Yeah. And then like there are other people who are just innately more like the skeptical voice is the one that wins the, the lottery every time they swallow drugs, you know? Right. And I, I've had those experiences where like, well, the angel squid was one of these. It was one of these where I was like, it really messed with me afterwards that we had both been there right? and that I had experienced this thing so vividly and that she seemed to be aware of it at the time, but she eventually like locked down on it. Well, like, I don't know what I saw. And, and so there's that question of like, I've been getting into this thing about, about what it means to be in relationship ultimately, which I guess is one of you is the finch that lives on the zebra and can like see really, really far or whatever. Mm. Or I guess maybe mm-hmm. the, it's zebras and wildebeest, right? That migrate together and the wildebeest mm-hmm. have a really good sense of smell and the zebras can see really well. And so you get neither of them actually lives in the world of the other one. Right. Right. But they, they've come together because those worlds that each of them experience are valid yeah. to the other one. You know, and so this, I, I, when I was talking to the weird studies guys on this show, it's like this question of like the ecosystem. That was a great episode. Oh, thanks. Yeah the, yeah. the question of the ecosystem of weirdness, right? Like mm-hmm. some of us experience it and some of us don't. And yet I think, I hope that we're getting to a point historically now where like those of us that do are taken a little bit more seriously mm-hmm. because otherwise <laughs> it's like nobody, nobody wants to be devoured by an invisible predator right i I, I don't know i don't know where i'm going with this but like that experience about you know you and and your wife like you know she's like having a panic attack on the ground and you're like sitting there looking at the ufo i was like i know that one you know that's a real one yeah yeah and you know just speaking more on just maybe the relationship part of that it was like a blessing because it, it it seems like we're not ever having the same we're like one of us will have a spiral and then the other one's sort of grounded. <laughs> and so it's sort we sort of take turns and I think she's more on her own. She's, she's sort of on a journey now similar to mine last year in which I think she's deeply exploring her more intuitive side, her more empathic side and, and, and following opening herself up to more communication from these less mainstream 
type of uh, ways of communicating. Um, so, yeah, so, but she's been on that journey and it's been, I think, it's nice to take turns and support each other and mm-hmm. be like, all right, I'll stay here on earth and I'll be your tether and you can just fly <laughs> out there. And, uh, and we even, we've even done that for each other with, with medicine as well at home, you know, sort of like, okay, you go deep. I'll kind of make sure the house doesn't burn down. And it, that's a beautiful way to explore your own thing, because I think it is amazing to go into these spaces together, but it's just a whole nother thing when you're doing self work and uh to be able to support each other doing self-work is sort of this exercise in breaking out of that codependent like the tentacles of codependency that just seem like you know it's just so insidious because it's it's like the more you love someone the more you can justify codependent behavior (laughs) but yeah i think it's been a it's been a good exercise to just sort of try to support each other's um solo journeys and when you were talking about earlier about your ayahuasca experience and how you couldn't even imagine having to be naked shitting like in a group (laughs) you know it, it was very much your own journey the first thing i felt coming back out of the first ceremony was holy shit i'm so fucking glad that sarah wasn't here like because if she was next to me i would have been so consumed with fear for her and i'm sure she would have been consumed by fear for me and so we both kind of decided to have our first ayahuasca experiences solo and hers will be you know probably next year at some point but i, I got an overwhelming message of that was the right decision <laughs> when i was there like thank god yeah that's you know that's funny i um you're not like one year older than her are you it's not no like no 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 she's yeah. actually two years older than me ah yeah yeah see so, yeah, I, I you know it's this is an interesting thing in a way it's almost like this this is where the bow goes on the conversation right because it's like this gets back to this the solo project versus the band thing that's been like floating around this discussion the whole time and yeah and how how important i think i i I mentioned this a lot but i remember years ago futurist mark pesci was on eric davis's expanding mind and they were talking about twitter and how you're no good to you're you're not useful to twitter if you're on twitter all the time because you're just recirculating what's already circulating inside that system and you're not obviously you're not any good to twitter if you're never on twitter right Right. it's like you don't exist Mm. so and there's this balance that you find between playing the game participating and then getting out and having your own discoveries that is really key to the health of your account you know, like being of a person of interest, yep. what that means is a sort of proxy for being able to contribute something meaningful to the collective. Yeah. And totally. and so I'd listened to Psychic Babble also, just so you know, I wasn't just binging on, <laughs> cool. on Circa. I, I, uh, I was surprised at how much of my own solo stuff I heard in that. Like there, it was, it was sure. very sort of reflected. Totally. And, and I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I guess it would be rude and offensive to just distill this into some sort of takeaway, but it does seem like there is a, t- a floating takeaway, which is keep a solo project, find a band, but keep a solo project. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, and that expands into, you know, this overarching thing of like, don't lose the plot of the capital S self or lose it in someone else, you know, which it's easy to do. And I, I think like something, it, it occurred to me as I am like sitting here, like I listened to your music a bunch previously, but this past week getting ready for this talk did more of a deep dive. And I just like had this moment of like, Jesus Christ, dude, like you've basically put, you've put out at least one album or one release, at least according to Spotify a year since 2012, if not more. So that's insane. <laughs> um, you're, yeah. Like I had no idea you had so much music out there, but then just to sort of touch what you said about, my project having some echoes of your stuff. Like there were so many times as I was listening through your catalog, just feeling like, damn, like kind of this, well, I felt really inspired, but also this feeling of like, I've had been sitting on all these instrumentals for so long. These feelings of like, Oh, this is like really cool. Maybe I should just like put out a mixtape. Maybe I should just like release these as something because they feel I like them as they are and like they feel organic and they have a certain charm and, and I just always hesitated on that. I think probably because of just trying to define things via these like titles and labels, like what makes psychic babble, psychic babble, trying to kind of repeating the same <laughs> mistakes that I was trying to avoid by doing a solo project uh, to begin with was like getting out of the restraints of being this like Circa is this beautiful collaboration. It's like, it's its own entity. And at a certain point, pretty early on, it became a machine in a lot of ways. It has its own propelling mechanism that I don't really have to do much about it other than just show up and be present, especially when we make records and, and when we tour, it's just like dropping in to the flow, the flow state essentially. And and sort of this communion with these other people. But then doing solo work, I like was shown in a very psychedelic way that I am the thing that keeps me from doing the things that I want. It's not circuit keeping me from doing it. Mm. It's like my own neuroses and like compulsions that put me into this corner of second guessing and, and overthinking and, uh, so yeah, I got this really beautiful wave of inspiration while listening to your stuff. It felt like permission to 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 indulge that more, to go deeper into that because I was getting so much enjoyment from listening to it. It wasn't like I I didn't feel like I was listening to like, oh yeah, this is just stuff that whatever. Like it all felt very special and it felt like yeah, like why do I overthink so much if something comes out and it feels good? And I can sit there and see the value in it or hear it, then it should be shared. It's not doing any good sitting on a hard drive. Dude, I, it's it's funny that you say that because I I just started working with my friend Mitch Mignano. He produced a, a song of mine this year, and it was his re-entrance into the world of music production. Like he used to be in a, a band that like recorded on Led Zeppelin's board and like toured all Whoa. over Europe, and he was you know, really deep, like touring with a Mellotron in this prog act in the late nineties and then fell out of it and became a professional gambler and then a historian 
And like <laughs> through our friendship, he's getting back into music and like the soul work of that. But he has been so careful and perfect about getting things right before they're released. Whereas I'm almost embarrassed at how much music I've put out there because 95% of it in the last, you know, 10, 12 years has been fully improvised stuff that I would then like trim down a little bit for time, you know, sure. like cut out the boring parts. Like it didn't require it. What there was no studio tweaking. It was just like, there you go. Have it in a weird, like I, I it's reciprocal. It's like, I feel like, since working with Mitch, I've become a lot more sensitive to like, I'm producing new stuff in the studio, but I'm not, I haven't shared any of it yet because now it's yeah. like weird. It's, it's different. It's like, I'm, I'm like pumping the brakes a little bit more and being like, you know, maybe I should get a little bit more precious about this and like, mm. you know, take some time to let this stuff percolate. And, you know, there's a reason that the 12 year scotch costs more than the five-year scotch <laughs> right like there's a reason and like some people don't like the five-year gouda they prefer the two-year gouda <laughs> right but nobody's going to tell you that the two-year gouda is worse than mm. the fresh like the new gouda right mm -hmm. first of all i'm i'm honored that you listen and and second of all i really encourage a multiple time scale approach to things and i'm really trying yeah. to embody that more in my own stuff of like Take some projects and make them really long, like low, like slow, long wavelength projects. But then like, don't lose the, the gamma wave, you know, don't yeah. lose that like high frequency, just like sketch it and publish it and give it, a, you know, and just like, just because uh, I feel like one layer is like the lubrication for the, the other. Yeah. And I really want to hear now that I know that it exists, I really want to hear all of this other stuff you've been you've been hiding. So. Yeah. Well, likewise to your book, you know, I'm like, where the fuck is Michael's book? You know that I need. Ouch. I'm. I want that so bad because you have so much beautiful writing out there. And again, I got sort of lost in your your medium page, just sort of like unraveling from the beginning. I mean, you have a few ongoing series there but like man i just can't wait i can't wait for that thing to actually exist uh where where is it right now where is it it's like yeah. entirely on medium and i think mm. i think what i realized was you know like after i took this job a year ago then had a kid i'm doing a lot of writing like i was talking about this with my boss who used to be a freelance writer as well and she's like, yeah, I write all the time now. I just don't write for myself anymore. And so like trying right. to find the balance in life for me, it's like, I got to get rid of, I'm, I'm, I'm purging right now books and various toys and instruments and devices that I've accumulated because sure. I'm, I'm feeling back to this point about too many hyphens. It's not just that other people will look down on you <laughs> for trying to do too much. It's that you literally can't. You know, yes. like I've reached this point where I don't have the time to pursue all of the different timeline personalities that I yeah. was just barely sort of doing it when I had nothing else to do. Right. And now it's just like, what the hell was I thinking? Like now looking <laughs> back at it, it's like, okay, there's got to be a reward in the cereal box for this. But right now it looks like I just ate out all the marshmallows in my twenties and like, <laughs> 
and I was like, why did I do that? Like, why did I, you know, why didn't I not just go deep with one thing, you know? And right. it's like, I, I don't know, like this is you know, social media is weird. Like they, you see your friends that are only painters or only musicians Ugh. and it's like, Tell and they're like going it. off and the, like somehow yep. the world has decided to reward that monomaniac behavior mm -hmm. and people they're like oh yeah i started painting because of you and now they're like five times as many instagram followers and they've got right. more success with their art career than i ever had and it's like well right. son of a bitch you know right. I, I i should have focused more so like right now i'm in this point where it's like i want that book too man and I just mm -hmm. need to stop doing other shit. <laughs> so I'm go. like, I'm, I'm just like, okay, who has to die? Okay. But again, like, <laughs> that's not the way we want to think about this, right? It's like, okay, right. you were doing this. Can I give you a promotion to help you on this right. other thing? Exactly. You know, like I, why did I buy a virtual reality headset? Like that was, why did I do that? Like, that's so funny, man. That's so <laughs> fucking funny. I literally had a pivotal moment when the Oculus, there, there was a certain, what a quest deal yeah there was a deal that came out and it was right at this time where i was sitting i had saved up like um a little over a thousand dollars in like amazon cards because i basically had gotten past the point where i was like all right this is too much to just spend on junk even though i don't want to give amazon my money i was like i want i want an ipad so i can start doing digital more digital art stuff and uh, you know a bunch of other stuff it just felt like time i needed it so I started saving up for it. And just as I hit the, like the amount I got presented with this, like, oh, like Oculus, like kind of deal. <laughs> and I just sat there for like a day. Like I was like, well, if I go this route, I was thinking about it. Like I'll get the iPad with the pencil and then I can also get like a field recorder and then, or I can go this route, get the Oculus and this other thing. And it was like this very, hard decision that i'm glad i went with the ipad and the recorder but it was kind of like oh a new obsession perhaps a new <laughs> distraction from all this shit you're supposed to do that you've been saying you want to do and i i do want one still but i mean i gotta I, I think the thing that i didn't realize going into it was it's like i gave up magic the gathering to play guitar mm. you know yeah and that was when i was in high school Right. That was when I had nothing like like the only thing keeping me on the computer was like America Online Instant Messenger. Mm -hmm. You know, like there there was no social media to speak of. It was just surfing and reading interesting stuff. And I, I, I graduated high school a semester early, so I had literally nothing to do but smoke weed and make art and music. Right. Yeah. For like eight months. And yet I still felt like I had to quit this other thing. In order to make time, in order yeah. to give the attention to guitar the way that I wanted. And now it's like terrifying. It's like, how often do I pick up a guitar? Right. If we are what we do, then my most important thing is this laptop because I'm yeah. using it like 10 hours a day. And right. it's like, okay, wait a minute. Like I remember, I remember in 2011 when I went to Peru, I didn't have a cell phone. I had a Google voice number. And I did not have a 3G card for my cell phone. So I could only answer the phone when I was like on a Wi-Fi network. Wow. Those were the good old days, man. Yeah. Anyway, I just, uh, t that's really just to say that like, if I don't have time to write this book, who has time to read this book? You know, <laughs> like who's, who's actually gonna, cause there's that, there's that part of it too. There's the like, 
who the fuck are you thinking that I'm going to sit down and like, apparently people do. Apparently people, you know, apparently it, it cuts both ways. But when I, I'm editing, uh, Corey Allen's episode about his new book and yeah. he was so, he was like, thank you. Thank you for reading my book. Yeah. Before. And I was like, oh, dude, I, yeah, you spent like all this time on this thing. Yeah. And then you go out on promo tour and like most of the people that you're talking to, they, they don't even have time for it, you know? And yeah. it's like, there's that piece of it too. It's just like, I think basically the last piece of this is that I made the mistake of putting all everything out. And I think that really what this book is going to require is writing it without sharing it all. Mm. I feel like I interrupted or like sabotaged myself somehow. I was talking uh, this author, John Cag, who's a, a scholar at Santa Fe Institute, and he's written a couple of really beautiful, uh, popular books on on philosophy. And when I, he was asking to read something, because he was kind of offering to help me find a publisher for some of my my essays, and I wow. sent him some stuff, and he's like, "No, no, no, no. I mean, stuff that you haven't published yet." And I was like, oh, damn it. That's nothing. That's literally <laughs> nothing that I haven't shared with you just the world. delete your medium profile. You're like, I, um. I have been thinking about it ever since. I've been yeah. like, maybe I just need to. And I think that that's, again, that's the wrong answer. The right answer is just to move, just to right. keep, write more. just to keep writing. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, this talk that I gave the other weekend that doesn't exist on record I think that's like the book that I need to write actually. And that this yeah. other thing, I just need to set it on fire. Yeah. <laughs> or just, or just put it out in the interim between your real first book and your second book is like, Oh, here's this compendium of stuff from medium. Yeah. <laughs> that was my first book, but just kidding. Yeah. Basically like there's, here's the essay collection and now we're going to move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we're there in which case, like really the next, the next thing is just to bind it. Yeah. We got to run the dishwasher in a second here. Yeah, cool, no problem. Before we before we call this a, a sandwich, yeah, I want to ask you the question. And I got a question for you too. So okay, go ahead. <laughs> you go first. Mine's pretty quick. Yeah. So mine, I realized how I have two things that I do, and they both sort of reflect off your question in an interesting way, or they're kind of like. Yeah, related. So the first thing that I, that I play with on my show usually is the idea of manifestation and group attention slash prayer. So I ask everyone who's on if there's anything that they'd like to ask everyone who's listening to focus their attention on for them, whether it's something for yourself, like your cat sick or, or some kind of greater, bigger thing. So that's one thing. I would I would ask people to focus attention on the seed of an orgasm that's in your body no matter what. Like whenever you're and I don't give this nearly enough attention myself, but I really do believe that if you just give your body enough attention that it is orgasmic and that it has nothing to do with whether or not you're being like stimulated in whatever way this ecstatic blissful state is actually the default biological reality mm -hmm. of, of you, you know, and that the more attention you pay to anything, right. It's just going to expand that thing. 
it's very easy to just like swirl around the drain of like a really gross idea or some, you know, but at the opposite is true. Like you can, it's an interesting experiment or exercise to, to like, how much attention do I have to give this thing? Like how, how long does it going to take for me to cultivate the quality of my attention so that I can pay attention long enough to get to the mm. point where I can just sit there and have full body orgasms just by paying attention. Mm. I feel like, I mean, I, I would love to ask people to like come together in prayer for my like getting a promotion or whatever the fuck, but that's just like, <laughs> come on, you know, like everybody, my mom isn't doing great. Like, you know, give my, show my mom some love, but like, Really, I think we could probably do better than that. Like you were talking about the butterfly effect. It's like mm-hmm. the more people I help find out that they're illimitably orgasmic, that's got to work out for me, right? I think so. I think so. <laughs> what about you? All right. Well, let's give that one second. Everyone. All right. And thank you. Um, no, that's perfect. And... Did you, did, are you, were you being genuine? Your mom isn't doing well? Is that real? I mean, she's, yeah, she's not, she hasn't been in great health for years. Then I'll, then I'll take that and I'll, I'll say, let's all send Michael's mother some healing oh. energy. So there's that. Thanks, Colin. Cool. And then the last thing I ask is I'm building an, an imaginal time capsule. So I ask every guest to contribute one thing to this time capsule. And so far there's, there's three childhood stuffed animal friends. There is some psilocybin chocolate. There is a copy of time loops that I gave to Ramin that he gave back to the time capsule. (laughs) There is a VHS from Sarah Zucker. We're accumulating things. So anything you want to put into this thing. Yeah. Do we have a date? Is this going to be opened in like 50 years or end of the universe? I think every person putting their item in has their own imaginal date in mind. And since it is purely imaginal, yeah, any date that you, that you foresee for this. All right. Well, in that case, uh, assuming that it will be, damn, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about this. I would love to put a living, I, I want to put a living creature in there, but I'm worried for, this imaginal creature. I think it'll sustain. I okay. Think it'll sustain. Well, in that case, in that case, I want to put an alligator snapping turtle. Yes. In, into the time capsule. I love it because I pre-ordered a hatchling alligator snapper when I found out I was going to be a dad because it was like, suddenly I knew that my life was going to have the stability required to raise a creature that would eventually grow to be like a hundred pounds and possibly live longer than I do. And that this was like a thing I was going to have to bequeath my daughter in wow. my will. And that it would like, it could bite through a broom handle one day and like, wow. Yeah. So there's just something about like, I just love them so much. <laughs> I don't talk about this a lot on the show, but I have a lifelong love of snapping turtles. Wow. I feel like it would be a sad world in which we have none. And so if this thing can sort of, if it's just like sort of put into stasis mm-hmm. and then it comes out and we can keep a, that little torch going in the world, yeah. that would be my, I put a snapping turtle in there. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> so, um, you know, my question to you is, is going to be kind of like that. Let's assume the future is happening. Mm-hmm. 
and that it's aware of us yeah. we're aware of them mm-hmm. and you know if it's not just like are you like wave at yourself across the chasm of time and you see yourself nodding over there mm-hmm. you know oh yeah mm-hmm. you still had it mm-hmm. what does living in that way change for you compared to like living as though the future isn't already it doesn't exist yet mm-hmm. yeah what does that what does that mean well i think for me it it brings me back to the beginning of this conversation poetically enough brings me back to inside versus outside and it brings me to the reminder of the sky and the reminder of just to look up and to sort of remember kind of to be in awe you know which that's the sense i get when i whenever i do feel like i'm communicating with a past self or a future self i get a sense of awe and appreciation and i think overwhelmingly my you know since we were talking about my ayahuasca experience like the theme that was in every single ceremony was this theme of eternity and infinity and the comfortability that was being given to me with those concepts and sort of like allowing me to maybe just loosen my grip a bit about trying to to navigate each moment in this way that you know puts so much pressure on my individual GPS to to figure it out kind of like let go of that and remember to be in awe remember to wave back you know you have to you have to take a second to look up to see the wave you know what i mean like if you're so like head down in your own shit just constantly trying to essentially grasping for what you feel like is lacking in your life you kind of miss the fact that it's already happened you miss the fact that there's some future you waving back at you almost every time i go on stage beforehand anthony and i have a visualization that we do together where we imagine that it's already happened and then and then it went perfect or it went it went exactly the way it was going to go mm-hmm. and um in a sense that makes it perfect so there's nothing to worry about <laughs> just get out there and play you know and i think that's probably that's yeah that's what it does for me get out there and play that's a perfect place to leave it colin i'm i'm glad that we waited as long as we did absolutely it feels like we've we've harvested quite a, a a bit of delicious fruit from this one man i'm i'm really glad to finally get to link up with you like this absolutely we'll do it again totally sure. yeah man wash those dishes and enjoy every second of it you bet all, all right, right man take care much love